A very good morning to all of you. Well, it's wonderful to be here, even so it's wet outside, but I'm sure every farmer is very happy. <laughs> and I hope you're all uh, having a garden or a farm uh, so that uh, your crop is growing and growing well. Uh, we, we need the rain, you know. We do not need the rain for our physical world, <clears throat> and we need the rain of God, uh, the refreshment of God in the spiritual world as well. Let us uh, go through scripture today. I want to speak today about the radiant church, holy and blameless. The radiant church, holy and blameless. And I'm going to start from the book of Psalms, 32 verse 7. <clears throat> the Bible reads here, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. This is now what uh, is being said from the human perspective. Then God will answer back after the seller. And God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. So God is actually answering that prayer. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will, give you, I will guide you with my eye. And then I want to take you to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 25. Now, this is a very interesting scripture. <clears throat> uh, it is uh, a scripture to husbands. Uh, and of course, Jesus is uh, using that scripture in order to compare what men do, uh, are supposed to do with what he is going to do. Okay, unfortunately, so many men are not doing what Christ uh, has asked us to do, but Christ is doing that and doing it perfectly. So, uh, understand, this is a word to husbands, but it is a word uh, that tells us what Christ is doing to the church. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, and the word love here is the word agape, not any other type of love. Husband, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as the radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. <clears throat> Let us pray. Lord our God, we want to thank you so much for this wonderful word that you have given to us. This word which gives us an outlook of what you are going to accomplish when everything is said and done. So Lord, we look up to you and we entrust our life into your care because you said you are going to guide us, you are leading us, you are showing us the way with your own eyes. The way you are showing us to go, that is the way of growth, the way of blessings, the way of prosperity. And Lord, I want to thank you that you are here, not leaving us or forsaking us, not being quiet, but Lord, you speak continuously. If only we care to listen, you are loud and clear in what you are saying. And so Lord Jesus, I pray, may your word reverberate in our hearts and minds today and as we go further from this service into the day and into the week, Lord, let us understand what it means to be the radiant church. To you be the glory and the honor. Amen. <clears throat> we must understand that God is the one who determines the way, the path on which we should walk in. Jesus very clearly says, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Now that's a very powerful promise that God has given us here. You know, if we think about uh, our uh, 
our history, you know. The Bible tells us we have come out of darkness into his light. And when we came out of darkness, we had no clue what God had in mind, what should happen in the light, you know, what is our destiny all about. Yes, uh, in slavery, at least uh, towards the end, they were in slavery in Egypt. And uh, as they were uh, for generations in that place, they were adjusting their mindset and their value system to what they experienced in that place. So they really behaved more like Egyptians from their value set. They really behaved more like, like, like slaves. And, and uh, they had to come out of that position, out of that darkness. And eventually they cried to God and said, we, we can't stand it anymore. We need to come out from here. And God gave them out of one place and going into a different place means transformation. Change is required. Okay, they could no longer be what they used to be when they were in Egypt. They were no longer slaves, and neither should they have a slave mentality, neither should they behave like slaves, or even follow the value set of the Egyptians. So they came from the darkness of their incarceration, and then they were delivered from that place and led into a new place. Now, what they knew was only slavery. You know, that generation that was delivered, they knew slavery, and uh, it was harsh and hard. And now they come into the freedom that God had given to them, of course, of which they knew very little. Now, the, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 John chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, how great is the love of the Father that he has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. What? And so we know a lot of things that God has revealed to us, but John, the apostle who was, uh, you know, uh, uh, the longest living the one who survived every other apostle, uh, he says in the age of his, uh, in, the, in the old age of his life, that we, sh we, we don't know yet fully what we shall be. That's very interesting. So in other words, if you don't know uh, the purpose and the reason completely as God has given it to us, now, of course, I'm not saying that we do not know anything, but we don't know everything. We may know a lot, and the more we study the Word of God, the more we come to uh, discover. But even, even John, the most uh, uh, aged of the apostles at that particular time, said, we do not know what we will be, what we shall be. Now, that is even more true for, pe for, for people who have just come out of darkness, who have just come out of slavery, like the, the, the people of Israel. And therefore, they need to be guided. They need the leadership of the one who knows the way. And the one who knows the way is our Lord. So we read in the book of uh, Exodus, uh, chapter 13, verse 17. Exodus 13, 17 says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not let, lead them along the main road that uh, runs through Philistine territory. Even so, that was the shortest route. The shortest route to the promised lands. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. That's the interesting scripture. You know, the people, they can't fight. Okay? Because if they come across uh, the enemies, they will, they will change their minds. So, you know, God knows our heart. God knows uh, every detail of our minds. 
And so he is not interested in the shortest possible way. You know, this is very often where we go wrong because we are looking for the po shortest possible way to our, to our destiny. And God says, I'm not leading you the shortest possible way, but I'm leading you the way where you will come into the destiny perfected the way you need to be. That is true for us as well. You know, so many times we are choosing what we think is easy. We love to cut corners. We love to uh, quickly leave things behind us. And yet God says, I'm not interested in the shortest possible routes. I'm interested in the route where you learn all the lessons that you have to learn. Where you are going to come out transformed and shaped so that you will be able to be in the land according to my very own purpose. And of course we know, they went through the wilderness, they didn't meet the Philistines, uh, which they had to fight. They came out as like an army for battle, but they were not ready to battle, okay? When, the, when Pharaoh decided to pursue them, they were totally uh, out of their, of their mind. They were, they were cl claiming uh, their leader Moses brought them there to die. And they were asking the questions, were there no grave in Egypt for us to die there? So they were completely overwhelmed by, by what was happening. And yet God actually led them in that direction for a very, very good academic purpose. You know, there are certain things we must learn along our way. And God was designing the roads that he led them uh, in a very perfect way. Now, you see, where the people of Israel lived, that was in Goshen, there was actually no need for them to cross the Red Sea. You know, many of us, we have a wrong picture of what the Red Sea is all about. Uh, they could have easily gone on land, you know, through the Sinai uh, Peninsula and would have reached uh, the Promised Land like that. But God actually led them through the Red Sea for a purpose, okay? These people, they had been acclimatized to the Egyptian value set, as I said earlier, okay? And God was busy making them a different kind of nation, a different kind of people, a people who would learn to trust God and not be afraid anymore, like we have been singing earlier on, we are no longer slaves of fear, okay? So, you know, if we are no longer to be slaves of fear, it may mean that actually you have to face your fears, okay? You have to face your fears and overcome those fears so that, you know, you get over it. The people of Israel, after they left Egypt, they had got very good reasons to remain afraid of Pharaoh and, uh, you know, if they would have continued even reaching the promised land, there was no reason or there was no, no promise for them that Pharaoh would not one day come and they take them back to Egypt. So God decided to solve that problem for them. Okay? So he led them to the Red Sea. And that Red Sea was deep and it was wide on that position where they have crossed. It's a very interesting place. You know, there's a lot of study has been done about that place and there was a wrong kind of perception where they have been probably crossing that Red Sea or what even the Red Sea is all about. But eventually there have been a lot of evidence, there's been a lot of evidence where the Red Sea really was and where they crossed, okay? So God led them to such a place. And where they were, God led them straight to the shores of the Red Sea. Now, in that place, there was no way for them to turn. They could not go back, and on both sides there were mountain ranges, so they could not escape. And Pharaoh thought, hey, these guys, they are lost. They don't know where they have gone. Okay, as if God would lead you away where you are, like it has been for the people of Israel. Then, of course, God has his hand in this. It was God who led them to that place. And then, of course, the Egyptians pursued them. 
And they were sure, you know, this will be a very easy thing because on one side there is the Red Sea, on the other side is us, the Egyptians. So we'll easily capture them and take them back. But first of all, you know, even as the Egyptians were pursuing the people of Israel, they could not come to them. They could not touch them because there was a, a pillar that was standing between them and the nation of Israel, the pillar of cloud and then the pillar of, of fire. So they could not reach them. Even so, they could see them, but they could not reach them. On the other side, the people of Israel were losing their composure. They saw the Egyptians quite all right, and they were so afraid. And so sometimes, you know, it is important for you to face your fear. So when God puts you in a place where you face your fears, you should be thankful because he's about to, to remove that fear from you. Amen? He's about to help you to overcome that fear. And so God was there in that place with Moses and, you know, uh, the people were complaining and complaining and finally God said, tell them to shut up. Okay? To be quiet. Okay? There was too much noise, so he had to be loud to say, hey, cool down. And then God told him, lift up your hand with your staff. And he did that. And the waters parted. You know, the Bible tells us there was a heavy wind coming, probably more heavy than Anna. Okay. And it, 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 was, so, it was so pointed. It was not doing destruction, but it was, you know, unlike Anna who has done destruction, uh, that tropical storm, but it was actually dividing the waters, okay? Now you can imagine this was probably a very amazing way that God did that. How God did that and how God does such things, you know, we, we will never know because God is God. And so eventually, there was dry land. And you know, of course, the land on which they were to walk had to be a land which was not rugged. And very interesting, the land, you know, on the seafloor is where they could easily walk. Not very far from that place, in many other places, it's very rugged where you could not have walked. But right there where they cross, that's where they easily walked through. Okay? Meanwhile, God was protecting them from behind with that pillar. You know, the Lord was in that pillar. God was protecting them and was looking down on the people of Israel with favor and he was looking down fiercely on the people of Israel. You know, there was favor for, for, the, for his people and there was judgment for the Egyptians. Now, as the Egyptians saw how easily they were crossing over, they made one very, very major mistake. They said, let's follow them. Now, you follow in the wake of a miracle which is not for you. That is very dangerous. So please be careful, okay? If you see somebody else has received a miracle, fine. Praise the Lord for that. But don't think it's for you, you know, because if you try to force the same miracles, it can kill you. Okay? And so the Egyptians, you know, they were, they were so uh, sure that they could capture back the, the people of, of, of Israel, take them back to Egypt, that they followed behind with all their chariots. And you know, as they were in there, you know, while the people of Israel had already come out on the other side of the Red Sea, as they were down on the ocean floor, on the Red Sea floor, you know, the Bible tells us that God caused confusion. Okay? Before the waters came, actually, their wheels came off. You know, the chariots didn't help them. Uh, you know, sometimes you want to go comfortably through a situation and your very comfort is your downfall. The people of Israel just walked, and they walked and reached the other side. The Egyptians tried to be fast with their comfortable chariots, including Pharaoh, you know, who was leading the delegation. You know, they, they tried to get on the other side, but God sent confusion into the camp of the Egyptians. And when that confusion happened, then people were crying out, hey, let's get back, you know? They realized they were undertaking something, and that miracle didn't work for them. 
And right then, you know, God, when, when all the Egyptians were inside the Red Sea, right then, you know, God let the walls of the water on, on, on both sides collapse and buried them alive. And you know, this is what God said to the people of Israel. The Egyptians that you see today, you will see no more. You see, this is how God dealt with the fears of the Israelites. They were afraid of Pharaoh. And of course, they had all the reasons for that. Because they were pushed in so many ways. You know, they were uh, squeezed. They were given more work with less uh, tools to work with. And yet, they had to fulfill the contingents for a long time. So they had reasons to be afraid of, of, of Pharaoh. Whenever Pharaoh would come, uh, they knew maybe our life is going to be more harsh again than it was before. But this time, God said, the Egyptians that you see today, you will see no more. So in other words, God dealt with the fear of the people of Israel. That's the reason why he did not take them the shortest route, but he took them a much longer route. Okay, it may still have taken them to the promised land very quickly if they only had learned their lessons quickly. But you know, God dealt with their fears. And from that time onwards, they never had to be afraid anymore that the Egyptians and Pharaoh leading them would come back because God dealt with that once and for all. That's why it's important to listen to the guidance of the Lord, not looking for the shortest possible route, but following the instruction of the Lord our God. And God said, I will instruct you and what? Okay. He does it through our leaders. You know, he does it through the people he has given uh, responsibility to take care of our lives. In the New Testament, we read in the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 12 that he has marked out a race for all of us. So when you come into the kingdom of God, you don't just run, but you run within the marks that God has laid down for each and every one of us. And you know, there we must understand that God doesn't leave that choice how we run and where we run to ourselves because we don't know the way. We may well choose the shortest possible route and then run into trouble and never arrive. And God was, make, was to make sure that the people of Israel would not only come out of Egypt, but they would also enter into the promised land. Okay? Reach their destiny. We all know Every, every discipline has rules, okay? If you take uh, sports, you know, you cannot, as an as a athlete, tell uh, the linesmen in soccer or, or, or you know, the, uh, the, the people who are doing the marking of the route or the, 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 the length of the, of the uh, marathon or the, the 5,000-meter uh, race, you cannot tell them, okay, can you change a little bit? You know, instead of 5,000 meters, make, make 4,200. You know, you are the athletes. You have to abide by the rules. Okay? I mean, we have all seen uh, and been glued to, uh, to the TV set when, when our teams are, are playing and, and, you know, they have got a goal. And then the referee says, no goal. You know, offside. And you get annoyed. No, that was a goal. The ball was inside. Yes, the ball was inside, but the rules were not adhered to. Okay? The rules were broken. And when the rules are broken, things don't work out. So we cannot change them. We cannot temper the rules, you know, according to our own uh, uh, thoughts. You know, and we have very often the God knows better, okay? Very often we tell God, why did you do that? You could have done it such and such a way. You know, we, we are always prescribing the way to God which he is supposed to lead us. And God said, it doesn't work that way. Not even in the world does it work that way, you know? 
Even for the athletes, they cannot say you must change uh, the, the rules. The rules are the rules, okay? And when God speaks, he speaks from knowing, from understanding where we are going. In his way, we need to walk, okay? Living our own crooked ways so that God can really lead us to our destiny. Now, as you can see in the very example of the people of Israel, that's not easy. You know, they made so many mistakes and many of them never even made it. In fact, most of them, that generation, never made it into the promised land. Only their children were able to enter because they were constantly telling God what he should do or should not do. When God said, enter the, the, the promised land, they says, we can't go in. There are giants in the land. You know, the very people who had a big giant, that was the, the, the nation of Egypt, the, 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 the forces of Egypt, the Pharaoh himself, they saw how God dealt with them. And then they were afraid of some rumors they have heard about giant in the land where they were going. So they did not trust God. And yet that's, that's the purpose of the roots that God leads us, that we learn the lessons that God puts before us, that we build our faith. You know, and if you have missed it once, the next time we should learn it. If you miss it the second time, you know, it doesn't mean God will give us up on us. Can, can you uh, just read this uh, passage of, of uh, Scripture, how the people of Israel were, uh, were given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and yet... They, they, they always murmured. They always complained. Instead of, he delivered them from Egypt. He delivered them from the pursuing army of the Egyptians. He opened the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground while the others were remaining in the, in, in the, in the, under the floods. You know, they, see, they could see how God was taking care of them. And you know, when you see how God has taken care of you in the past, you must build your faith, okay? You must no longer uh, be overcome by fear. You know, the fear that God allowed the people of Israel to confront when the Egyptians followed them, he dealt with that fear. The question is, why did they harbor that fear again? Okay, why did they allow that fear to return to them? And you know, this is very true for each and every one of us. We need to allow God to guide us and whatever lesson he is uh, uh, taking us through, it is to build our faith. You know, and if we are not learning, eventually we'll not reach our destiny. Okay, just like with the people of Israel, they remained in the, in the desert. God allowed them to, to, you know, circle the desert for 40 years until all of them, you know, who had rebelled were, were gone. How sad. It's not what God had in mind. God taught them lessons. He fed them with, with uh, you know, manna from heaven. He brought uh, these birds into their camp so that they could eat. You know, he, he, he brought water out of the rock. There were so many things that God did in a miraculous way. And when they had a problem, they should just say, oh, the, the very same God who has, has given us deliverance last time, he will give it to us again. Amen. So what they should have done, they should have confessed what is written in Psalm 32 verse 7. They should have said, you are our hiding place. You shall preserve us from trouble. You surround us with songs of deliverance. And so often they forgot exactly that. You know, that's why, you know, we sing in this song, uh, count your blessing, name them one by one. These are songs of deliverance. You should do that, you know. You should remind yourself that your fear has been eliminated by God himself. You know, the very armies of the enemy, the cross of Calvary, and we do not need to fear him. Praise God. Now, when we read scripture, Ephesians chapter 5, says that Christ loved the church with that powerful agape love. It's not a, a fleshly love, a human love, okay? Uh, it's the agape love of God. The agape love of God that is sacrificial. 
And, and the scripture tells us that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Of course, the church did not exist at that time, okay? There, were a small, there was a small group of people that was, these were the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there was, there was no church yet. The church only began on the day of Pentecost, okay? But the Bible tells us here that Jesus did what he did for the church, okay? So he had faith that this church would rise, that he would be able to build it. And, and Jesus said it uh, to his disciples when, when uh, Peter was confessing that you are the, the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And then he said, I will build my church. Okay? Church is not built by good ideas, human ideas. Church is not built with money. Church is not built with uh, all kind of gimmicks and human programs. Church is built by Christ. And you know how, how it's happening that God is building his church? It's when the word of God comes forward and finds room into our hearts. That is how God builds his church. He builds us one by one by one by one. And when we are being built then he is going to be glorified. The church is going to be what God wants her to be. Now, Jesus is loving the church that he gave himself for her, and that was what he did at the cross of Calvary, what he did when he came into this world, okay? What he came when he suffered, he did all of that. But he came to make her holy, process that is ongoing. Jesus only needed to die once, okay? You only need to come out of, the, of Satan's kingdom once unless you decide to go back. But when we have come out of darkness and in his wonderful light, then that part of the, of the business will be done. But from then onwards, there is a constant process of transformation Required, And the Bible says that Christ is going to make the church holy, okay? The church are the people that are called out of darkness into his light, each and every one of them. He's making them holy, cleansing them, cleansing the ecclesia, the people, by the washing with water through the words. And to present to her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish but holy and blameless. This is our destiny. Now, we can't come to that destiny with our own cleverness. We cannot come to that destiny by prescribing God our wishes, how we should arrive there. That's not possible because we don't know the way, okay? We don't know. We don't know what is the best way or the right way to arrive at that destiny where we are holy where we are without blemish, where we are free from stain or wrinkle, where we are holy and blameless. Because, you know, even where we are today, we still see so many of these things are not yet gone. Okay? Now, from God's perfect perspective, you know, the Father sees us already complete in Christ. Praise God. But on the other side, you know, he has to deal with issues that are still lingering in our lives. When God called Abraham, you know, he was the father of our faith. You know, God called him out of where they were praying to all kinds of different gods. And God called him out. And he says, you can't, you can't be my follower within where you are. You need to come out. Okay? So, in other words, we, we cannot remain in Egypt. We cannot remain in the life of sin. At the same time, be God's followers. That's not possible. We need to come out. There needs to be a, 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 a real transformation where we are crossing from one side to the other. Okay? And we see that was happening. Now, Abraham was a man 
who believed God. Let me just read that for you. And you know, this is, this is the, 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 the one condition that God is looking for, okay? You may not be perfect. That leave it to the Lord. We may not be, uh, you know, better than others. We may not be holy yet. But as long as we have faith, God will do all the rest, okay? Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. At that time, he was still Abraham. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your very great reward. Okay? So our reward is not heaven. Our reward is God himself. Okay? Many people haven't understood that. Even the father of our faith, that was lesson number one. Okay? The foundational course. Okay? My reward is me, not anything else. Okay? But Abraham said, Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? So you can see the thinking of Abraham is completely different than the thinking of God. Abraham said, I've got a reward for you and my reward to you is me. But uh, Abraham thinks about his succession, you know? I don't have children, so what am I going to do? And God is speaking to him, you know, after, after Abraham tells him that he has got no child, but he has only got a servant who, you know, was born in his house, Eliezer of Damascus. And God answered, yeah, but as This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. A son coming from your own body will be your heir. Okay, very, very powerful. For Abraham, that looked impossible because his wife Sarah, or Sarai at that time, was, was barren. She could not have children. Then God took him outside and he said, look up to the heavens, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Of course, and we can't count the stars. You know, with the naked eye, we can only see a very few stars. Of course, now with the, with the Hubble telescope and the new telescope, they have shot up into the sky. Hopefully, we'll see even much, much more. Not only millions, but billions, billions of stars. Milky Ways, you know, and, 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 and constellation in the, in the, uh, and that's why God said, you know, if you can really count them, no, you can't count them, okay? But God was building the faith of Abraham, okay? He wanted him to overcome the idea to say it's impossible. And this is what God wants to do in your life and in my life. You know, how many times have we said to God, oh, it's impossible, it cannot be done, I can't do it. God gives you an instruction. God tells you, do this or do the other. And you say, no, no, it's, it's impossible. I think we should turn the impossible into the other direction, you know, and say, nothing is impossible. If you want to use the word impossible, then say, nothing is impossible. Otherwise, say, everything is possible with you. Okay, but you know, we always want to be negative. So if you want to use the negative word impossible, then say nothing is impossible for those who believe. Amen? So God said, look at, I don't know whether God gave Abraham better eyes to see deeper into, into space and see more than, than normal natural eyes are seeing, whatever the case may be. You know, even if you look with your naked eyes to the, scars in, uh, to the sky and you look at the, at the, at the the formation of all these powerful stars, you realize, you know, this is a mighty God who has put all these things in place. And God said, so shall your offspring be, like the stars. Hey, so shall your offspring be. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, this was a man who had not a, no child and had no prospect to have a child because his wife was, was not fruitful. She was barren. 
But then, verse 6 tells us, Abram believed the Lord's. Put your name there. Okay? Put your name there. Do you believe God? You know, when God shows you what he wants to accomplish with you in your life, in your future, in your, in your uh, sphere, you know, in your family, do you believe God? That's why Abraham is a father of our faith, because he believed God even so it was impossible from the human perspective. But Abraham believed that God is greater than the impossible of man. And the Bible says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited him to him, he credited him, it him to him as righteousness. Okay? You know, this is the righteousness that we require. Our righteousness comes by faith, not by our doing. Faith is what God is looking for in our life. But that does not mean that now we can be whoever we want to be and come into the heart, be totally opposite in our nature to God. No, actually, once you come into the hands of God, he is, is, is beginning to mold you. You know, he's taking you into the refiner's fire to transform you into the nature of your God. So Abraham was not a perfect man. I mean, you can read, and the Bible is very honest. You know, the Bible is never trying to paint the picture of heroes like, you know, uh, in history, you know, when the, uh, the, the, the people who are, who are becoming victorious over another nation, uh, they will always write history to play, paint the, the enemies dark and themselves, they, they paint them in, in, in very bright, heroic colors. God is not doing that. God is very honest in his words. He tells us what really the case is all about with us. Okay? So, uh, if you look at the life of Abraham, and you know you should uh, consider that life time and time again, you can see that Abraham was not always a straight guy. You know, he lied. Several times. You know, when he did it the first time, he was, he was rebuked. And then he should have changed. But when he went to Egypt again, he, he was afraid. You know, fear is what makes us do things that we should not do. Okay? Fear is what makes you do things that you should not do. That's why we must learn to trust God, not to fear the people that we are, that we are uh, facing in our life. So when he went to Egypt and uh, he knew about Pharaoh's uh, desire for beautiful women, he was afraid. He said, if this man knows that I'm their husband, he may kill me. Can you see, he was very selfish. He didn't think what could happen to his wife. He only thought about himself. <laughs> he was trying to save his own skin. But he didn't care what would happen to the wife. So, you know, yes, indeed, Pharaoh came, took his wife away, and, uh, you know, so at least he was safe. But that is not what God had in mind. You know, God actually rebuked Pharaoh. Hey, this woman, don't touch her. Pharaoh had to rebuke that man. The same Pharaoh that he was afraid of had to rebuke Abraham to be transformed, to be changed. And you know, it takes time in our lives to be transformed, to be changed. Abraham's old habits, just like mine or yours, Require change. You can see that in the life of Moses. You know, Moses came out of, of, of Egypt when he was running away from Pharaoh's uh, uh, kingdom because he was, he was killing an Egyptian. And uh, he, he went into the wilderness and it was a hot shot. You know, he had no patience. He wanted to uh, take things up into his own hands and, uh, and deliver the people of Israel just there at once. But it didn't work that way. But when finally God came to him and says, go and deliver my people Israel, he says, ah, impossible, I cannot do it, you know? And God rebuked him, you know? He says, you, if I say so, you can, isn't it? And so he had to transform him. And later on you read that, you know, the very man who was a hotshot, you know, the one who had no patience, 
became the most humble man, the most patient man on earth. Imagine, a transformation took place. The same thing you see in the life of Joshua. You know, Joshua uh, took over the leadership from the hands of, of, of Moses. Of course, these were very big shoes to fill, and uh, Joshua was afraid. Why do we know that he was afraid? Because God confronted his fears, not once, not twice, but several times, okay? Because he wanted him to face his fear and overcome it. And that's why in the book of Joshua, uh, God says to him, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead his people to possess all the land that I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and be very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions more to the left. You will be successful in everything you do. Study the word of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. My command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Joshua was afraid. He felt he didn't have the strength. He didn't have the courage. He didn't have the ability to be the leader of the people of Israel. And that's why he was afraid. Just like you and me. You know, when we face certain things God tells us to do, we are afraid. We say, we, we, we cannot do that. It's impossible. Unfortunately, my time is up. And uh, I'm only half through, so I'll continue next week. <laughs> okay, it has become so, so, so sweet that my time is running away from me. I hope my, the clock is right, but uh, if it is right, I will have to close here. Next time, we are looking at how God is dealing with our stains, with our wrinkles, with all the things that are not reflecting his nature, okay? We see how he's going to take us to our destiny, how he guides us, what it means that he is washing us with the word, okay? So may the Lord bless you and... Uh, you know, read these scriptures. Uh, as I said, I have gone half through and I will continue this uh, very subject next week. So the Lord gives us grace. Okay. And I know, you know, it is so important to understand that God will make us a radiant church. God will not fail to do what he has decided he will do. You know, he will not. If you think you can't do it, then you need to take a walk with your lords. Then you need to go outside in the night sky and look up when there are no clouds, okay? Learn to believe that God is able to do it. Just like Abraham learned to believe God. <clears throat> Despite all the impossibilities that he saw. And you know, we all, human beings, we are, as we are, we all see impossibilities at every corner, isn't it? We don't have the strength, we don't have the courage, we don't have the money, we don't have this, we don't have that. We're always afraid that we cannot make it. And God says, look up to me. I am your very great reward. And that reward doesn't come to us when we are dead. Okay, this reward comes to us immediately because he gives us strength. He gives us courage. He gives us the joy to overcome. He gives, gives us his description of the way that we can be able to walk and learn to trust in God. He is going to take care of us on the way, just like he was able to provide all the people of Israel, and you know, these were probably a million or more than a million people, because the Bible says there were 600,000 men and what and what, you know? So you can imagine this was a crowd, this was a big crowd. This was not just a company of 20 or 30 people. But this was a crowd. How much 
food do you need to satisfy the appetite of, of, of a million people? And that for 40 years. And God never even once failed to do that. So if, he, if God could do that, why are you afraid of, of tomorrow? Why are you afraid of facing the challenges that are ahead of you? Because the God that you serve is the same that the people of Israel served. Our God is a wonderful God. And he has proven his love and his care for us when he came into this world and laid down his life, just like scripture says. Christ for her. And I tell you, that price that he paid is not in vain. It will take the church to the place which he has destined for the body of Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord our God, we are so grateful that you call us your beloved church. We are so grateful, Lord, that you show us what you have done for all of us, the body of Christ. Lord, you have laid down your life. You have not shrunk back from the worst atrocities that were committed against you until you were finally nailed in a, in a terrible way, just like a criminal to that cross. But you pay that price. You pay the price so that we can get salvation for free. Salvation, we know, is not cheap. It was expensive. It cost you your life. But for us, we are the beneficiaries of what you have done. And we remain the beneficiaries of what you keep doing for each and every one of us. So Lord, help us to understand how you transform our lives once we are following the way that you have marked out for us. So Lord Jesus, help us to be obedient, your obedient children, as we walk on that path that you have prepared for all of us. Lord, help us to learn how we can be led by your eyes. How we can be led by the word that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord, that nothing is impossible for those who believe. Amen. Amen. Amen.